0: root or, or verse 9 anxiety and worry destroys joy anxiety and worry destroys joy in fact it's like a million devils into your mind and wreck you from the inside out i have heard it said that anxiety is fear without faith You have those what-if questions to start wandering around in your mind. What if this happens? What if I don't pass this PT test? I will not get that promotion. What if I get stuck here at Fort Huachuca for another cycle? What if? What if? And they just plague your mind, don't they? Anybody in here ever experience worry? Those worst-case scenarios ever kind of control your thoughts? and you start to think about all the the worst-case scenarios. 500 years ago, there was this French guy, I can't say his name, said, he's a philosopher, he said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. That's pretty true of most of us. Our lives are filled with terrible misfortune, but the reality is, it never typically happens. In fact, there was a study done a few years ago, that said that 85% of what subjects worried about never did happen. And the 15% that did happen, the majority found they could handle it with little difficulty. Worry is a pandemic in our society and in our culture. We all experience worry and anxiety. But we are people who have peace with God. We follow a God of peace. And this anxiety causes chaos. How do we merge this? That we are people who say that we have a God of peace, yet we are filled with anxiety and worry. It's really the opposite of what we hope for in the Christian life. But God can change all of this, and that's what we're going to see today. But we have to think rightly about God. When you think about God, is it the same God that a Buddhist would think about? Is it the same God that a Muslim would think about? Where do we get our idea of God? Where does he come from? Well, for us to truly know God, it has to be revealed to us. And it is revealed to us in Scripture that we have God in three persons. He is one God, but he is triune. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are persons, in one God. And I know the Trinity is a complex mystery, and I know I can't unpack the whole thing right now because that's not what this sermon is about. But when you think about God, I want you to think about God in three persons because here's the thing this is how salvation was accomplished. God the Father plans and gives the Son, God the Son procures and accomplishes salvation, and He fulfills the covenant. And then sustains it. And then we have God the Spirit that applies it to our soul. So when you think about God, you need to think about God in three persons. And this is the subject of our passage this week. The peace of the triune God will produce reconciled relationships, joyful prayer, and noble thoughts. Let's go ahead and read our passage. I urge Udia. I urge... Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. These are pretty big words, pretty powerful words. The God of peace will be with you. Let's go ahead and pray. Almighty God, as we approach this sermon time, that our minds would be opened, that we would see your word and be and have you be revealed to us, the God of peace. Father, as we consider the opportunity we have to worship you, we can say for certainty that there are people in other countries and other states that do not have this same opportunity. And we don't take it lightly that we can come to service and worship you and study your word without hindrance. Father, I want to pray for First Baptist of Idaho Falls. Father, they just lost their associate pastor to COVID, and he just passed away. Father, I I can imagine the difficulty and the, the struggle that they are experiencing right now, the mourning that is in their life right now as they are mourning the loss of their pastor, their associate pastor, their worship pastor. Father, we lift them up. I pray that you would comfort them in this time. Show yourself to be great to them. Father, give them the comfort and the joy that they can find only in you. Lord, we lift all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we spent a long time in Philippians, several, several weeks. And as we've been going through Philippians, we've been noticing themes, the theme of joy, the theme of humility, the theme of following Christ, having the same attitude. And we talked about being a bond servant or a slave. And we said that, that a slave of God is one who is swallowed up in the will of another. If you are a Christian, you should be swallowed up in God's will. You want to do what he wants you to do. You want to please him fully and not be distracted by the earthly things that can so easily entangle. And what we see is Paul is preparing the church for the message he just gave us today. Can you imagine being called out in public in the middle of a congregation? If I was to grab two folks in here and start calling you out, you probably would be a little bit taken aback, wouldn't you? If I said, hey, y'all need to stop fighting. You two over there. I know who you are. And sometimes we do that to our kids, right? Because that's acceptable. But this is what Paul does. He calls out Udia and Syntyche. In fact, this whole letter is kind of building up to this moment. These two ladies are unreconciled in their relationship. They don't have the peace of God that they should. In fact, They are risking destroying this church through conflict. And what we see is that these two ladies in verse 2, Udia and Sintake are common names. We don't know much more about them than what we see here, but they are forever marked as two ladies who got into an argument and wouldn't let it go. They did the opposite of Elsa. They did not let it go. And what we see is that these two ladies, Udia and Sintake, are to agree to have one mind, the same mind, And what we see over and over again in Paul is he's saying, have the mind of Christ. Set your mind on these things. Be single-minded in following Jesus. And so what he says here is that these two ladies need to put their personal animosity aside. We don't know even what they're fighting about. But only that they are fighting, they are arguing, they are causing trouble in the church. And so what we see is that the God of peace will bring reconciled relationships. So he starts by exhorting them. He encourages them. He says, I really want you to, I urge you to, to get along. Put your personal petty problems aside. That was a lot of Ps. Put them aside. Put it back. Put it away. Be centered on Christ. But then he says that they need help. Look at verse 3. He says, yes, I also ask you, true partner. Now, Here's the thing about this, this name, true partner. It could be an actual name. You'll see a little footnote in your Bible likely that'll say it could be somebody named Sisygus, or it could be true partner. So he could be talking either to the letter holder who has brought the letter, which is likely to be Epaphroditus, or he is talking to a specific person by the name of Sizygus. I can't really say his name well, Sisygus. So he says they need help. He says there needs to be a third party to mediate this conflict. Ultimately, someone in the church needs to help. And now look at how he says it. He says to help these women. Now this word for help does not sound in the Greek like we would have help as in like encourage or or bring along. It means grasp them. It says grab these two ladies, bring them together, and hold them tight. That's the role of the church. The church is to reconcile relationships. It's a gift. So if you are struggling and you need a mediator, guess what? The elders and the pastor's job is to help mediate conflict. That's what we're here for. In fact, sometimes you need a third person to see what's really going on. How many times have you gotten to an argument only to have someone, a third party say, what a silly thing for you to fight over? And then you feel really embarrassed and you make up and it's over. That's what's going on here. He says the church can grasp these two ladies, take hold of them, and bring them. This word is used in in reference to the arrest of Jesus. It's used in reference to the arrest of Peter. It's used in reference to catching all those fish when he was calling the disciples. He says catch these two ladies, bring them together, and fix this Conflict. Reconcile these relationships. This is a role of the church because conflict breaks up peace. You can't have joy and you can't have peace when there's conflict, even personal relational conflict. How often, those of you who are, I guess, married or, or unmarried, have ever had an argument with someone that you loved? Isn't that all that you think about a lot of the times? In fact, every time you see that person, your mind goes back to that conflict. You are consumed with the conflict. You don't have peace. You don't have joy. You're miserable. And that's what many of us do is we live in this misery. We live in this conflict. And that's what these two ladies are doing. And so Paul calls them out and says, these women are gospel women. These are gospelers. These are women who share the good news. These are our ladies in the church who are very valuable. These are not just two lowlifes that have snuck into the church and had an argument in the front row, like some kind of WWE fight. No, or I guess there's a women's side of that. But anyways, they are legitimate gospel witnesses. In fact, this hurts the church's witness when two people have conflict in the church and won't reconcile. He gives the motivation at the last part of three. He says, Along with Clement, these ladies have worked alongside me and the rest of my co-workers, whose name are in the book of life. These these ladies were once co-workers, and now they're co-fighters. Instead of working together for the gospel, they're fighting each other. Their, Their mind space is consumed with this conflict. And it limits your joy. It limits your peace. We need to reconcile, he says... Because the Lord is near, because their names are in the book of life. The purpose of our reconciliation in this world is because we're going to spend eternity with each other in the next. We will be for eternity with that person that you're holding a grudge against. How long are you going to hold a grudge in this life? How will it compare with eternity? Is it even worth having a conflict over such small potatoes? Is it really worth being mad that someone said a snarky comment in passing that hurt your feelings? Is it really worth filling your mind with these negative ideas about another brother and sister in Christ? Why not pursue peace as our psalm passage talked about? One of the reasons that you want to reconcile your relationships is because this life is temporary. We are only here for a short time. This is not all there is. In fact, we cannot have peace in this life if we are not reconciled with one another. We have to reconcile with God ultimately first, and once we're reconciled with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, then we can reconcile with other people. And the motivation for that stems from our relationship with God. There's there's people who will tell me stuff like, Well, I have a great relationship with the Lord. I just don't like anybody else. I can't get along with anybody. I want to look at those people in the face and say, listen, you're lying. You do not have a good relationship with the Lord because he calls you to pursue peace with everyone. In fact, it's the height of immaturity to think that your relationships are not partly your fault because you have to invest in them. I know these are hard words. I take them to heart. In fact, I cried over this passage as I was studying it because I too need to pursue peace with everyone, even when they hurt you, even when they call you names. You pursue it. Now, this is not easy. It doesn't mean that they have free access to come and beat you up verbally every time you, you see them. But it does mean as far as it depends on you, pursue peace with everyone is what Romans says. And this leads to something. This leads to joy. How many people here don't want to have joy in their life? Who here wants to be Eeyore forever? Nobody. I think everyone pursues joy. Everyone wants their own happiness. And this is something that's been built into us. Because our happiness depends on who we know. And that's God. And Adam and Eve had the perfect life in the garden. They pursued happiness in their obedience. But when they became disobedient, they lost joy. And we get, a, we, get a, we get the repercussions, don't we? We lose our joy in a life that's not full of conflict. In fact, Paul here is pretty bold. He commands you to rejoice. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about we have to pursue happiness. We are called to be joyful as Christians. And so he commands it in verse 4. He says, Rejoice. Now, remember who we rejoice in? In the Lord, always. Did you hear that word? Always. Now, some of you may be in your mind like, okay, I can rejoice when things go good. I can rejoice when I'm happy, when my life is comfortable, when I'm not sick. But listen who's telling us to rejoice always? Who do you think that is? Paul. And where is Paul right now? He's chained up to a Roman soldier possibly getting to get his head chopped off soon. And he's telling you to rejoice? What makes someone like him tell us to rejoice? Now, I don't know if you guys have it as bad as the Apostle Paul. Have you been shipwrecked lately? Have you been bit by a poisonous snake and then survived? Have you been um, stoned almost to death? Have you been thrown in prison in the deepest, darkest pit and expect to meet the, the ruler of the world, uh, Caesar, and then face a trial. I don't think anybody in here is, is the same problems that Paul has, right? Paul has 99 problems, but lack of joy is not one of them. Paul is joyful, and he's telling the Philippians who are just massively worried about him. Imagine if the, the police came in here and arrested me and hauled me off to jail, and you couldn't hear from me that would cause you a little bit of worry and a little bit of anxiety as to what is going on. And that's what Paul is telling these folks because they are worried. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He doubles it up. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it again, rejoice. Not only that, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Everything flows From this practice of rejoicing in the Lord. And you have to cultivate this joy. You have to cultivate the joy in the Lord no matter what the circumstances. In fact, your joy must always be in the Lord. If you find joy in other things and they supersede the joy of the Lord, you're going to be miserable. You're going to lose joy. Our relationship with the Lord must be so central that nothing can shake our sense of enthusiasm in the Lord, knowing that this life is temporary and something graceful. A joyful character, though, produces ethical living. If you have joy in the Lord, just as Terry was saying up here before he read the psalm, having joy leads to right living because he says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. A Christian who has joy in the Lord shows grace to others when we think about graciousness it means he is showing grace in fact you don't insist on your own rights how many of us here demand our own rights especially in our homes i need to be treated a certain way it has to go this way otherwise i will be mean to you if i don't get my way i will be unhappy have you ever heard that or said that in your own brain i know i have You show grace to others because you find joy in the Lord and that can't be taken from you. Leadership in the church or leaders in the church are also to be gracious. It should be evident to all. He says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. And then he gives his command. He says, we can maintain this because the Lord is near. What does that mean to you? The Lord is near. I want you to think about that this week. This is the much needed encouragement to rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is near. Even in suffering, even in anxiety, we need to remember the Lord is near. And so now, verse 6, we get into the solution to worry. Did you know that the Bible has solutions to your life problems? It has a solution to worry. How many in here, let's be honest, worry? Maybe that's something that we do. Do you have anxiety? Let's go show of hands. I know that I get worried sometimes. Some of y'all are not being honest, right? We all experience worry and anxiety. So Paul tells the Philippian Christians to stop doing what they have been doing. He says, you guys are worrying. You guys are freaking out. You guys are filling up your mind with all the what ifs. And he says, you need to stop it. Now, is that very helpful? When you you call your mom and and you say, Mom, I'm just really worried And she just looks at you and says, stop it. You're like, that's not going to help, right? So Paul doesn't just give us a Bible verse and say, call it me in the morning. Here's your pill for anti-anxiety. No, he says, listen to what he says. Let's go ahead and just read it. Don't worry about anything. That's pretty comprehensive. But in everything, through prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, many of you may say, well, I've done that and it didn't work. We're going to get to that. There's an absolute here. It's a sin to worry. Did you know that? It's a sin to have anxiety and to worry. Now, many of you are already in your mind, well, I got a medical condition. A doctor said it was okay for me to have this anxiety. Let me tell you, I'm going to do this as graciously as possible, do you want to be stuck in that loop of anxiety? And I have taken medicine for for anxiety before. That's part of the reason why I was medically retired from the army, was because of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, the whole nine. And I want to tell you, this is true. This is what we need to look at. So let's look at it. So Paul says, stop obsessing. worrying so much. Now good concern to a point. Let's not worry because the reason this is a sin is because it's a lack of trust in God and it really comes from pride. It comes from pride thinking that we can control it with our own mind. How much of our anxiety are things that we have zero control over? How many of us worry about things that you can stop? What about cancer or a medical condition, how many of us worry that we may get cancer and die? Can you control whether you get cancer or not? No. Can you control whether you get COVID or not? That was a big thing of worry. Sometimes we worry that we can't even get toilet paper in the uh, stores. This worry can overwhelm us. And he gives us a positive command. He says, only by praying with thanksgiving in every situation We can stop worrying about anything. I'm going to unpack the application of this as we continue. So verse 7 gives us a promise, and he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer, like he just said, with thanksgiving, will produce peace in the careworn heart, the heart that is... Worn with care and anxiety, the anxiety-laden heart. Not that, ga- that, that God will give you exactly what you want. He may not even remove you from the situation, but you can have peace in it by increasing your trust. Prayer is obviously an openness about your needs and your wants before God. And this word for peace is often referenced to the Hebrew word of shalom, of putting the chaos back into order, of having that perfect peace. The peace of God is like well-being in terms of health and harmony. So when you have this peace, this shalom, you are having harmony. And then we have this word guard. Now, many of you have been on guard duty before, and many of you enjoy it so much that you volunteer for it, every opportunity you get. In fact, you really love the, the early morning shifts right? Because that's just the most fun part of your life. And we often think about guard duty as an extra thing that burden for us. But imagine being in a combat zone and relying on one person or two people to stay awake to protect you while you rest. So what's the opposite of worry and anxiety? Sleep, right? Because you're out and you're trusting someone else. So when I was on a, a little cop in the middle of nowhere, we had um, our platoon, we had a Kurdish platoon, and we had an Iraqi platoon. And we were right on the Iraq-Iran border. And it was an area that wasn't too dangerous, but we had to rotate our guard duty. And so all of us, our whole lives were spent around guarding. And I was the night shift NCOIC. My job was to look at this little tiny computer screen and watch my dudes walk around from guard point to guard point. That was, that was, that's a lot of fun. But... I took that responsibility seriously because if I'm not paying attention, something could sneak in and disrupt my whole platoon. A grenade or a suicide bomber could kill everyone. That's a huge responsibility. And what what we see here in this passage is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which is not even something that we can really grasp with our own reasonableness, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace is a century. It's protecting you. Have you thought about your peace with God as a protection for you before? Have you thought about that? When Christ rules your heart, we have peace. When Christ is on guard, you have peace. But when you live in disobedience, that protection can be lifted for a time. When you pursue only your own selfish, willful desires when you refuse to reconcile relationships, when you refuse to pray with thanksgiving, you could have no peace in order to get more peace. The peace of God also will bring noble thoughts. Look at verses 8 through 9. Paul tells the church at Philippi that they must chart their course by the following thoughts. To count on these things, to put them into practice. Live these thoughts out. Knowledge should always lead to responsible Christian living. It should always lead there. So he says this word, finally. Now we've talked about finally. It could be finally as in like this is the end, or it could be finally as in in addition to, and that's what we saw in, in, uh, in chapter three. In addition to this, we get six adjectives. Now if you have to think back to your English grammar school, don't worry, it just means it's describing something. So the first thing you do is you must think about whatever is true. Now, this is something very practical, and I'm going to get to it, but let's just read through it. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So true means it's valid or reliable or honest, It's based in reality. We're not talking about fake news here. We're talking about reality. Whatever is honorable, that means something that's noble and worthy of respects. Something that pulls you up rather than drags you down. And as I was reading through this, I had in mind a military member who is surrounded by peer pressure. The peer pressure is real in the military. And your buddies want you to go to the bar and get drunk And chase after women or they want to take you to whatever the coolest strip club is or take you someplace or look at pornography with them that is the stuff that will drag you down that will corrupt your heart it will damage your soul and that's what he is saying those that's the opposite of what is honorable he says what is just the upright things that are conformable to God's standard the things that are holy Whatever is pure. He's talking about moral purity here. These are the things you need to pursue. This means you're not sitting there dwelling on something like Game of Thrones. You are looking at stuff that is morally pure. You're looking at things that are lovely because they're pleasing and agreeable. And something that is commendable, something that you commend is attractive or rings true. And then we get our two nouns. We have moral excellence which is essentially Christian virtue, and then whatever is praiseworthy. Now, sometimes we get confused about what praiseworthy means, but just think, worthy of praise. Whatever is worthy of praising God for. And then he gives us an imperative, a command. He says, dwell on these things. Think on these things. Live in these things. And then he gives us our motive in verse 9. Do what you have learned and received, and heard from me, and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, put it into action. Sin always results in unrest in your life. It gives you a seared conscience. Right thinking should lead to right living. And it's really necessary in experiencing God's peace, the peace of God. Not because you earn it, But because when you worry you worship and trust the wrong thing when you worry you are worshiping the wrong thing So let's get practical now. Let's put this into action. This is something I don't want you to miss So if you're taking notes now's a good time to get that pen ready because we're going to get into it We're going to get deep. I want to take a situation Let's say finances Let's say you are worried about being able to pay the bills, maybe because you have struggled in the past, or possibly because you watch the news and they're scaring you to death. Maybe the news people are talking about inflation and how bread is going to cost so much more, and you're not going to be able to afford it. And so you watch the news, you see this stuff, and you begin to go on your phone, and you start to look up. What do I need to do? How can I fix this problem? And you begin to ruminate. You begin to dwell on this worry. In fact, you start thinking about all the possibilities. What am I going to do when my children can't buy shoes for school? How am I going to make my kids eat some food? Am I going to have to go without food for a couple days? You begin to struggle. You, rem- you start thinking about it. In fact, you start to become short and harsh with your family members. In fact, those kids that you worry about, you kind of treat a little poorly. You start snapping at them. If it weren't for these kids, we wouldn't have all this money burdens. If it weren't for this thing, and you start getting mad at your spouse, and all of a sudden, the worry just begins to eat up you, eat you up. That's not even good grammar. It begins to eat you up. It makes you sick with worry. Ever been there before? Ever been sick with worry? You're so worried that you don't feel good. Maybe your thing is how maybe your thing is how other people think about you. Maybe you're really worried with how people think about you. So this is what you need to do. These are steps. Paul has given us direct guidance on how to deal with our financial anxieties, our fear of people anxieties, our worry about anything that you can think of. So prayer starts with recognizing who God is. God is your provider, your sustainer. In fact, you could even start your prayer, and this is how I like to start my prayer. God, who is the provider. You are the one who provided manna in the wilderness for the Israelites. You have proved your reliability time and time again. You have promised not to forsake your people. You begin with prayer. You recognize who God is. And as you do that, you begin to have thanksgiving in your heart a little bit, don't you? When you think about who God is, you start to get a little thankful. And you say something like, God, I thank you for providing for me these last few years, even a month ago when I wasn't sure I could pay the rent. You provided for me. God, I thank you for the situation. Have you ever prayed thankfully for a situation that you don't like? This is important. You have to pray. Thank the situation, not for the pain or the sorrow that it's caused, but thankful for the situation because of what God is accomplishing through it. This is how we do it, right? We're walking right through verse six. We don't worry about anything, but we bring our prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We're presenting our request to God. Next time you worry... Turn to this passage, turn to this passage. In fact, you should memorize it, but if you can't memorize it, turn to this passage and begin to walk through it like this. So I said we praise God for who he is, which then leads us to being thankful for who he is, which then leads us into asking, requesting, petitioning, God, help me. Someone has broken down language and said there's three levels of language. I don't know how true this is, so don't shoot me. But there's three levels of language. The first level is like baby language, like how we talk to our little babies, like mama, daddy, little kind words. And it's not really full of actual information, but it's full of emotion. That's level one. Level two is kind of what we learn in school, where they give us just a ton of information. You've got to learn all the math problems. You've got to learn this. You've got to learn that. And we're gaining information. And then level three is motivation and persuasion. It's what we hear on the news. It's what we see in our advertisements. You need to buy this product because you're miserable without it. That's level three. When we pray like this, God, help me. You're praying with level one language, emotional language. You are crying out to the one who can provide hope, who can provide a solution, any solution. In fact, you begin to say, God, help, and then you ask for what it is. I, you know that, that I need to pay the water bill, and it's so great for these reasons. You can even confess your lack of belief, your lack of trust. God, I am not trusting you well right now. I am worried to death. I am sick with worry about this scenario, this situation that's going to happen. And you begin to confess, God, I just don't believe right now. I don't believe enough. Help our unbelief, the apostles said. Lord, I'm not trusting. And then let's let's add in verse 7. What does verse 7 say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Pray that. God, you promised to guard my heart with peace. Make it happen. I need you. This is how we pray when we are worried. And then verse 8, so we're not even done yet. Verse 8 tells us what to think about. So let's say you did all of this stuff. Verses 6, 7, and then verse 8 comes along, but you're not there yet. In your mind, you pray that prayer, and then you begin to worry. You begin to think about these things. Paul says, don't fall into this trap. Keep your mind on the things in verse 8. Otherwise, you will likely fall into anxiety. So you fill your mind on the virtues of verse 8. And you continue to imitate from verse 9 what you see in Paul. You dwell and then do. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go through verse 8. I want you to write out the things that you're supposed to be thinking about. And what I call this is my think list. This is my think list. I actually have it in my Bible here. I have it on my phone And these are the things that I start thinking about after I've prayed to God. And I begin to think about what is true. What is based in reality? What do I know for sure? Well, I know that I belong to Jesus Christ. I know that he loves me and cares about me and he is going to prosper me. Looking at Romans 8. Maybe not physically, maybe not circumstantially, but spiritually he is trying to make me more like Christ. And I will embrace that regardless of the circumstances I go through. I start thinking about what is true. I then begin to think about what is honorable. What is going to pull me up and not pull me down? How can I respond in a Christ-honoring way in my circumstances? What is honorable? What's the honorable way to handle this? I begin to think about what is holy, what is not secular. Instead of going and binge-watching Netflix when I'm worried, I turn to the Word of God, and I begin to read Psalm 119. Because that's one of my favorite psalms, when I am miserable. And then what do I do? I begin to look at what is pure, what is not mixed with corruption. I look at what is lovely, morally attractive, what is commendable, what is moral excellent, and what is worthy of praise. I love the mountains here in Sierra Vista. I love to sit on my backyard and look at those mountains because it is amazing to see what God has done. I see his creation. I see his beauty. And spending time looking at the things of creation is a balm to my soul. In fact, I like that, and I like music that sings back the Psalms to me. I like music that sings true, honorable, morally excellent words to my heart. It is well with my soul is a great song to listen to when I'm worried. So do you think you could put this into action in your life? If you have worry in your life, you don't have to live with it. You do not have to live with anxiety. Now this takes practice. Like any good thing, it takes practice. And you have to continually do it. God desires for us to depend on Him completely. And this is how we begin to do it. It's through prayer. Worry is like pulling the emergency brake while God is stepping on the gas. You will still go and do what he wants you to do. It's only going to be painful and very slow, and it'll probably wreck your engine. God has a plan. You could be like Jonah, who still went to Nineveh, but he took the Big Fish Express. You will still get there, and you'll still do what God wants you to do, but it will not be so fun. You may experience anxiety and worry in your life. Paul recognizes that the Philippian church have the same tendency as you and I. We seek peace as the solution. Peace in relationships because of Christ. Peace that leads to joyful prayer. And peace through thinking about these noble themes. What can we do this week to put this into practice? I wanted a game game plan with you. Because I was military, and everybody knows that I like to talk about military stuff. And while I was in the military, we would do these things called battle drills. We would be prepared for contingencies. So if there was a near side ambush, if we were attacked close by, my platoon's job or section's job or squad's job or team's job was to turn towards the enemy and run at them because that's the only way you're going to survive. If it was a far side ambush, we were to find cover and then maneuver into the enemy space. This is the same thing we need to do with worry. We know that worry is sinful. We know it's a lack of trust in God. So let's go ahead and battle plan. Get your think list. Have it available. When, I, when do you worry the most? When you're sitting at home about 9 o'clock at night, looking at Facebook and seeing everybody else having a happy life and you're miserable and lonely? Put that sucker on your think list and begin to think about what is true what is honorable, what is just, what is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is morally excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, and begin to make this transition away from being having a fear, chaos-filled life to a life of peace in God, which is a gift. And beg God for peace. That's what I've been praying this week for all of you, that He would provide peace, in your lives, and in your hearts. I don't know if I say this enough, but I love each and every one of you. I pray for you regularly. In fact, daily sometimes. And I cry out to God because I know some of the struggles that you experience. Each and every one of you have unique trials and tribulations, and I want to be praying for you. And I want you to know that that's what I have committed to do as your pastor and as one of your elders. And the elders also are continually praying for you as well. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Almighty God, we are so grateful that you are the God of peace, the God of shalom, that you have reconciled relationships with us. Father, if there's anyone in this room who does not have the peace of God, who does not have a reconciled relationship with you, that you would push upon their heart, that you would add pressure to them, that you would... Cause them to cry out to you and say, help me, God. Help me to trust you. Help me to not be like the Israelites in the wilderness at Meribah and at Massah, where they were rebellious because they put you to the test. God, help them to be the people who have soft hearts to you and towards one another. God, I pray that we would have joyful prayers, that our prayers would be lifted up in joy, with thanksgiving, with just happiness, with praiseworthy attributes of who you are. God, give us a mind that seeks after the noble things, that we are not drowned by the deluge of just the plague of worry and anxiety, the what-ifs that are enemy darts, that are seeking to destroy our peace in you. Father God, I pray for this congregation. I pray for Sierra Vista Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that we can reach our community for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would stir in every single one of us here a burning passion to share the gospel, that they would be at peace with you and desire others to come and find peace with you, that we would spread your kingdom across Sierra Vista and the surrounding communities. Father God, I lift up the churches in this area who teach and preach the Bible, that seek after you and long to be obedient to your will. Help us to be one of those churches. And all these things we ask in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.